Golazo. So many of you will recall a story I love telling, and for which I won't tell right now, just gives the very quintessence of it. But that's the story of Dom Dumba, the great disciple of Atisha, and response to this fellow that was doing devotional practices and then studying and then meditation. And each time, Dom Dumba said, oh, very good to do devotional practices, very good to do study, very good to meditate, and even better to practice dharma. Right? And then he said, okay, the fellow exasperated, said, okay, what's that? And the, the two-liner, which is really worth memorizing, Dom Dumba's quintessential advice, and that is give up all attachment to this life and let your mind become dharma. So I think you all have a sound enough understanding that when he says give up attachment to this life, there's nothing suicidal there. There's nothing like just you know, depression or anything like that. It's not give up this life, give up just the attachments, the mental afflictions that are clinging to the hedonic bounties of this life. But give, a t- give up attachment to this life and then let your mind become dharma. The practice of shamatha, the simple practice of mindfulness of breathing, really can epitomize that. It can. Of course, it doesn't have to. It could just be attentional training for any purpose. But give up attachment to this life every time that your mind is caught up in excitation. By definition, excitation is arising from desire, from attachment. That's how it's defined. There are other kinds of mind wandering, of course, driven by faith, by devotion, by anger, all kinds of things. But generally speaking, that which draws our minds off into distraction, which we'll call excitation, is desire, and it's desire coming from attachment to this life. So every time you're releasing that, you are releasing, I mean, right down to the little tiniest bit of rumination, you're releasing that you are giving up on this micro level. You're giving up attachment to this life. And then as you settle right there, just resting in the nature of your awareness, whether you're attending to the, the breath, you're observing the mind, you're resting in awareness of awareness, right there, that's, that's it. You're resting right in, nat- in the nature of your awareness, which is by nature pure, luminous, and by resting there, gradually the natural resources of your own awareness do emerge in this non-conceptual way. That is, it's not discursive, it's not, it's not generating. It's just this simple placement, this placement meditation of shamatha, just by so doing, then, these so-called five dhyana factors naturally emerge. And I think, I, I, just, I'm, I, I stand in awe, frankly, or I guess I'm sitting in awe right now, uh, at the, just the sheer brilliance of this. Because on the one hand, we have these five obscurations, usually translated as the five hindrances, but I think the Tibetan dipa, I think it's a bit better. Because then you see obscuring, and then you can ask obscuring what? And what's obscuring is the naturally luminous, pure nature of your own awareness let alone rikpa, just substrate consciousness. And it's exactly those five, ill will, fixation on hedonic pleasure, laxity and dullness, excitation and anxiety, and then finally afflictive uncertainty. That's it. That's the, that's the set of obscurations that just throw mud all over and obscure the natural luminosity and purity of your own awareness. But then we have these natural antibodies. So in terms of ill will, as you become familiar with, more adept in the practice of mindfulness of breathing, a sense of sukha, just a sense of well-being. It's not bliss, it's not ecstasy, it's just, just that. It's a nice word, well-being, sukha. A sense of well-being arises right from the nature of awareness. It is genuine because it's not stimulus-driven. You don't need some, something to make you happy. 
It's just a sense of well-being as you're as a symptom of a mind that's coming to balance. Just like the sim- a symptoms of the body that's injured or ill. It feels bad. It's really good that it does because it catches your attention so that you heal your body, right? But then when your mind comes into balance, then it starts to feel good. And that's sukha. Whereas the mind, insofar as it's beset with mental afflictions, it feels bad. And that's also good. Because it would be really rotten to have your, ment- your mind just inundated by mental afflictions and feel really happy at the same time. <laughs> then you'd never have any incentive to get out of samsara. You say, no, but my mental afflictions feel so good. <laughs> I mean, I, just, I really like them. You know? And so it's really a wonderful thing that mental afflictions afflict. Because if they didn't, we'd just never have any incentive whatsoever for getting out of samsara. You, know? so you may not like them, but that's good. Then go back and root it out from the source. So, but you can see this. It's transparent. When, you're, when your awareness does rest in a sense of well-being that's not stimulus-driven, whether it's food or sensory or intellectual or aesthetic, pleasant memories or happy fantasies or contrived optimism, none of the above, just it's a symptom of your mind coming into balance. You'll, it's quite obvious, isn't it? that when your awareness, your mind, has that sense of well-being, it will not at the same time be caught up in ill will, malice. Not going to happen. One has to go. Either have to abandon the sense of well-being, okay, now I'm unhappy, now I can feel malice and ill will and enmity and so forth. Or you give up the malice and the ill will, but they can't be together. Right? So it's a natural antibody. And then, the most, I think maybe the most interesting one, it's really very interesting, and that is the whole fixation on hedonic pleasure. It's called dube yunna chapa, attachment to the bounties of the desire realm. So it's not just sensual craving like ice cream or sex or whatever thing like that. It's just the whole range of the fixation on these chimeras, these facsimiles of happiness. That they, oh, if I had that, I had that, had, and just getting over it. How do you get over it? What's the natural antibody that comes right from the nature of awareness? that serves as a direct remedy for this attachment, fixation, obsession with all these symbols of happiness, none of which are actually the real deal. And it's simply the unification of the mind. It's single-pointed attention. It's so interesting. But that actually does it. See for, your own, see for yourself whether this is just dogma, speculation, or whether this is really experiential. But when your mind gets unified, that right there just clobbers. Oh, that'll make me happy. Oh, that'll make me happy gone. Natural antibody. Right? Laxity and dullness. The, the natural antibody is course investigation. I mean, paying attention. Look. Hey, attend. Observe closely. Course investigation. Then That can't be there. Laxity and dullness can't be there when you're really investigating. Right? And then we move on. This is an interesting one, too. Excitation and anxiety. Goebbel and Goebbel. Excitation and anxiety, a little bundle. Okay, we know how that screws everything up. That's where the rumination lies, right? What's the natural antibody? It's, it's in Sanskrit, pretty, pretty. It's bliss. It's a sense of well-being with a real sharp edge to it. I mean, real, it's joy. Now, excitation, as I mentioned before, by definition, is always arising from attachment, from craving. A craving for what? Oh, that'll make me happy. That'll make me happy. That'll make me happy. Well, if you already have bliss, why do you go anywhere else? <laughs> so actually, bliss will, will act as a natural antibody for looking elsewhere for bliss because you've already got it. That's natural. 
It's transparent, right? And then we have the final one, afflictive uncertainty. Oh, I'm not progressing. I'm not progressing. I'm progressing slowly. I'm not progressing at all. Oh, I don't think I can do it. Maybe I can. I doubt it. Oh. Goes on and on and on and on and on. It just never gives you a break. How long does it take? Have other people done it? Were they white? Were they like me? I doubt it. Maybe. There's no end to that discourse. It just goes on and on. Maybe I can't. Oh, but maybe I can. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, uh, uh. Now, that'll just screw you forever. You know. And think about it. You want to get married, you want to get an education, you want to apply for a job, you want to have a good, go on vacation, anything. Maybe it make me happy, but maybe not. It might, I don't know. Could, probably won't. It doesn't matter what, it's not just for shamat, it's for anything. Can you develop the four immeasurables? Can you develop insight? Can you develop patience? Can you develop, can you even breathe? I'm not sure. <laughs> so how do you overcome it? Precise analysis. The really now look in there, get sharp, get sharp. It's topa and then chupa. Chupa and topa. Topa the chupa. This is ovichara in Sanskrit. This is really, okay, now just shut up and let's look carefully. And let's get the answer through an experience. Can I or can I not? Well, I'll, let's just find out. And shut the hell up. I'm busy now. I'm practicing. And I'm practicing very intently. And I'm really paying attention. And all that, wah, 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 would you just shut up? I'm busy. And, a, and it's gone. You know? So that precise analysis, that natural antibody, you don't have to get it from someplace else. So this is what I find it just so majestic, that the five problems are all there. They're built in. It's just sheer habit, right? But then when you just practice shamatha, then the five antibodies just naturally arise and boom, 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 boom. It's like target practice. The five obscurations gone. Welcome to substrate consciousness give up attachment to this life is you've, rested in the, you've come to rest in the substrate consciousness and that's where you wind up in the culminating process of death. But you're healthy. So there's nothing unhealthy about authentic shamatha practice. If anything, there's already some good evidence. It increases your lifespan. If anything, it increases your lifespan. That was really quite an interesting discovery from the shamatha project. It might actually increase your lifespan. Okay? increases your mental health, increases sense of well-being, increases the balance, the harmony of your whole nervous system. And yet your mind, coarse mind, dissolves in the substrate consciousness, which is where you go when you're dead. So you get a sneak preview of the death zone while you're still alive and vigorously well and hopefully have decades to go. Okay? So give up attachment to this life. So allow your mind to, allow your mind to die while unveiling the natural luminosity of your own awareness. And then, of course, when you come out of samadhi, you get your mind back, but it'll be a new and improved version. Upgraded version. Because those five obscurations will be massively diminished. Not eradicated, that requires vipassana. But they've really been, like, gut-punched. Each of your five obscurations, even when you come out of samadhi, you know it's like to be gut-punched? Like... <coughs> That's what the five obscurations feel like. Like, whoa, that wasn't nice. I'd really like to screw you up, but they can't. 
you've really, you've really knocked them. You've really, it's not a death blow, but you've really disabled them for a while. And while they're going, uh, 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 then bring in the sword of Vipassana and just put them out of their misery. <laughs> and then you become Arhat, foe destroyer. Right? Okay. You have to be very macho to practice shamatha. <laughs> Let's practice. So with the sense of giving yourself the greatest possible gift, then to enter the practice in the pursuit of genuine happiness, to discover your own extraordinary internal resources. Let your awareness descend into and fill the space of the body, settling it in its natural state and your respiration in its natural rhythm. Give up all attachment to this life as you release every vestige, every trace of rumination, speculation, cogitation about the future and the past, and even about the present, as you let your awareness rest non-conceptually, non-discursively, in the present moment, in stillness.
and then venture into any of the three methods of shamatha, of mindfulness of breathing of your choice. If you find a lot of tension, a lot of tightness in body and mind, then you may go for full body awareness, phase one. If you find that you're not particularly tight, but the mind is quite agitated, a lot of rumination coming up, then you may go for phase two, a rise and fall of the abdomen. As if you feel fairly loose, relatively calm, then focus on these increasingly subtle sensations of the in and out breath, at the apertures of the nostrils. And for any of these three methods, you may count insofar as you find it helpful. Monitor the flow of mindfulness with introspection. Identify the occurrence of laxity and excitation. And apply the appropriate remedies. Let's continue practicing now in silence. 